I invite you back to that chapter which we read earlier on, Numbers chapter 11. We've simply entitled the message this morning, Complaining. Very topical title, Complaining. Let's just seek the Lord and we word a prayer as we come to this passage. Lord, we do thank thee for the good singing. We thank the Lord we're able to sing these psalms and spiritual songs And, O God, we bless thee for the truth that the child of God can say he leadeth me. Lord, at least that would be our desire, that we would never, Lord, give ourselves over to be following the crowd or that we'd be led by uh, our own thoughts or initiations. But, Lord, we might ever be ones who are following the Lord. And thou might guide us and lead us uh, by thy word. We thank the Lord that uh, thy hand is faithful. And O oh God, we pray thou would teach us as we come to this passage. And Lord, we, we know, Lord, even by the title, it'll challenge our, all our hearts. And we pray that I might speak that little word in season. And Lord, that thou would instruct us. And O oh God, that I would take away every distracting thought. We know the devil's subtle. We know that he would place this thought and that thought in our hearts and our minds when it comes to uh, coming around thy word. And Lord, we pray that I would banish the devil. That I would banish every, every uh, thought, O oh God. And I would bring it, everyone into captivity. And Lord, that I would concentrate our thought upon thee. O oh God, to that end, fill us with thy spirit. Lord, give us the help of the spirit in the pulpit and in the pew. And O oh, Father, we pray that thou would give us words that must and shall prevail. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. After the tables of stone of God's law were given the second time to the nation of Israel, Moses was to give instruction concerning the tabernacle. We have looked already at various pieces, the different parts of the tabernacle, the furniture that is of the tabernacle, and every piece of furniture represents Christ in some aspect. And Moses was to give that instruction. He was to give instruction to the priests and to their garments. And in due time, before the end of the book of Exodus, there is the rearing up of that tabernacle in the midst of the camp of Israel. The tabernacle was to go with them. The tabernacle was that which went with them on their journey throughout the wilderness and right into the promised land. The cloud resting over the tabernacle signified God's presence amongst them. And you might be able to picture in your mind's eye the great crowd of Israel. And yet there are the Levites in the midst of that camp. And they're carrying the tabernacle. And as I say, the glory of the Lord, when it rested upon the tabernacle, it signified that God was there. You remember how Moses said, If thy presence go not with us, carry us not up hence. It was the most important thing that they knew God's presence as they journeyed. And when that cloud of God's presence rested on the tabernacle, then the people stayed. They stayed in the camp. But when the cloud moved, of course, then they journeyed. And to all intents and purposes, things were going well. We might say for the first number of chapters in the book of Numbers, That is, until you get to chapter 11. Because at the start of chapter 11, there's a change in the tone. There's a change. 
And although we might say men and women, we have moved very quickly from where we were last Sabbath day, you might say that. We've moved from Exodus. We've skipped over the book of Leviticus. Leviticus has to do primarily with all the sacrifices that were to be offered. And every one of those sacrifices, whether it's the burnt offering or the sin offering, etc., all of them point to Calvary. All of them point to the Lord. And so we've skipped over the book of Exodus or the book of Leviticus, I should say, and we've come even to the 11th chapter in Numbers. Yet I want you to understand that having done so, we're only three days further on in their journey. Just three days after they left, Mount Sinai brings us to Numbers chapter 11. Just half a week, three days in. That's where we are when we come to this chapter. And when we do so, three days in, what they see they don't like. And so there's the starting of a complaining. Some will try and tell us, of course, that it is the parallel to what we've already read in Exodus chapter 16. You remember, well, maybe you don't remember, but back there we considered how they complained about the manna. And God sent the quails. But there's a difference. And there's a major difference between those two passages. And the main difference is this. There's nearly a year apart. And nearly a year on in the timeline. You see, they had camped at Sinai for approximately 11 months. They arrived there on the third month of the first year after they left uh, Egypt. They don't get the command to leave that place until the second month of the second year. Just turn back to Numbers 10. Numbers 10 verse 11. Came to pass on the 20th day of the second month. In the second year. That the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony. And the children of Israel took their journeys out of the wilderness of Sinai. And the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. So 11 months later. The command is given, now you start to journey again. And they leave, even Sinai. What had caused their delay was sin. Sin. A delay of at least, we might say, six weeks. For Moses had to make that second expedition into the mount with God for 40 days and 40 nights to meet with God to receive the law again. What's the lesson? Sin hinders your progress. Sin will hinder your progress in life. And certainly, sin will hinder your progress going on with God. But three days after leaving Sinai, they start to complain. And this time, the actions of God are so different as we're going to see. When they first arrived at Sinai, they didn't really know God. Oh, they were a nation of slaves that had been delivered from the land of Egypt. And they knew who they worshipped, yes. But they didn't really know God in in the intimate sense. But while they were at Sinai, God taught them. And he taught them that he was a holy God. He taught them that he was a powerful God. And he was to show them miracles. And they knew as they journeyed that God was preserving them. He provided the manna. He provided the the water. He also was one who protected them from the heat of the noonday sun by that cloud. And even during the night season, the pillar of fire gave them light. 
and had given protection uh, that through the night hours. And they had manifold evidences now of the power and of the grace of God. We might say any one of us have evidences of those same things whether you're on the road with God a short while or a longer season I said to you I had my spiritual birthday there last week the week before last 45 years on the road some of you are longer some of you are shorter but you can say yes I have seen evidences of God's power in my life I have seen evidences of God's grace maybe every day And hence, men and women, we come to look at the seriousness of what it is to complain. Something that is common in life, isn't it, really? But I think you'll see from this chapter how serious it is to complain, especially against God. I want you to notice, first of all, the lingerers. The lingerers. We've come across this complaining already but we come across it here in a general sense I just want to read verse 1 and when the people complained there it is in a general sense it displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it and his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp that's all as far as we'll get to really at the minute Because there's the complaining in a general sense. Wasn't directed at something particular as was the case later on. But rather the spirit of complaint. The the, uh, attitude was one of complaining. But what we note is that it came from those on the periphery of the camp. It was among those who would be described as lingering. And the issue is it was their practice. This wasn't the first time, as we've already mentioned, they complained. Uh, Their complaining has already been heard. But it was something that was their practice. They seemed to be complaining all the time. And you know, you'll come across people in life just like that. They seem to be complaining all the time. These people had complained to the Red Sea. And then there was a complaining, you remember, at Mara? And then there was a complaint at Rephidim. And then there's a complaining at Sinai. And now three days later after leaving Sinai or Mount Horeb, they're at it again. And it is an attitude that can always find something to complain about. Oh, blessings may abound. Yet there's always that something to murmur about, isn't there? We would do well to pray that God's grace would keep us from having such a spirit. For no one can serve the Lord well who's a constant complainer. You get that. No one can serve the Lord well who's a constant complainer. What about the place where this complaining took place? Well, we know from chapter 10 and the words of verse 33. Now there's only three days since. Since they departed from the mount of the Lord, three days journey, and the ark of the con of the Lord went before them in the three days journey to search out a resting place for them. Just three days since they were on the move. And you would have thought there would have been a gladness that they were on a move again after being stationary for 11 months. You would have thought, would you not, that the experiences of Horeb would have kept them from complaining. Especially so as at that place they had pledged to obey the Lord God. Let me remind you of Exodus 19 and 8. They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's what they said in response to what Moses taught them. 
All that the Lord has said, we will do. What privileges they had enjoyed being at Horeb as God revealed to them his great power, but it seemed to have failed away very quickly. It's now faded in their memory as despite their privileges, their behavior hasn't changed one iota. But then too often we are no different. We'll not point the finger too much at the nation of Israel. We'll have to look at our own selves. Maybe we've got a word from the Lord. The Lord has spoken to us. He's caused his word to come to our hearts with power, with freshness. It's come very near. And maybe before we get away from the worship of God's house, the old flesh rises up and there's that complaining spirit again. But the interesting thing concerning the place where the judgment of the Lord was to fall, verse 1, is in the latter words where it says, He consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. In other words, those in this instance who were guilty were on the periphery. They were on the outskirts of the camp. Those in the outskirts often represent those who have a tendency to lag behind. They don't seem to be engaged as much as those who are maybe further in the camp. And surely we must take heed to this lest we become part of that group in the work of the church. You might say to me, preacher, surely there's not those who lag in the work of the church. Oh, yes, there is. Now let me just underline something. That's not to say everyone has to be at the front. And there's some of you who will be saying amen in your heart to that. I don't want to be at the front, preacher. But there's others who do. But it's not everyone for to be at the front. There's not everyone to be seen by others. But it does say it's not a good place to be in if we're on the periphery. It's not a good place because often that is first of all where the complaints are to be found. And you seek before God to give your all. Give your all, men and women, to the work of God. Give your all to the work of God. You know why? Because Christ gave us all on the cross to redeem us. He gave us all. You'll notice the punishment here. What they did displeased the Lord, verse 1. Indeed, look at those other words in verse 1 as I draw your attention to them. It displeased the Lord. The Lord heard it. His anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them. The word displeased is translated evil or wicked in many other places in the Bible, the Old Testament. Their complaining was wicked in God's sight. And there is you and me has come into the house of God this morning and you thought complaining, that's just, that's just a minor thing. It's just something I do. And we learn here it's wicked in God's sight. Secondly, his ears are open. He heard them. He heard their complaining. God hears what is uttered in the most secret of places. 
And because of what he heard, his anger was stoked, and rightly so, for it was Israel that he had delivered from Egypt. It's Israel he had fed along the way. It's Israel who had watered. He had provided their every need. We read later on when they reached the land of Israel that even the soles of their feet didn't wear away. The shoes. That's a miracle. And their clothes as well. He made and gave them every provision. He showed them grace and forgiveness for their sin of idolatry. He had every right to be angry at them at this time. And the patience of God was to run out. For the fire of the Lord fell upon them in judgment. Now some do not want to consider or even think that that judgment is something of God. There are many preachers today in pulpits. They'll never mention that God judges sin. They'll never mention that there's such a place as the eternal flames of hell. Where the judgment of God will be poured out without mixture upon the Christ rejecter. Upon the unbeliever. Upon the sinner. And that justly so. Understand that while men do not want to believe it, or men do not want to think upon it, that doesn't change the fact that the justice and the holiness of God demands punishment. Sin must be punished. And you see, that's what happened to those who were lagging behind. And Israel couldn't say that they weren't warned. Exodus 33 At the end of that verse, let me just show it to you. Verse 3, it says, Unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. Here's the time where the Lord was saying to Moses, I'm not going to go with you in the presence of the nation. Why? For thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. The warning was that his presence would consume them. And God keeps his word. As now there is a murmuring with those in the uttermost part of the camp. A very severe punishment. Because it was a serious sin. This was a fire from the Lord. This is not... uh, Some natural occurrence. This is not lightning. This is a fire from the Lord, it says. And the mercy and the grace of God is this, that it didn't consume the whole camp. It was only on the outermost parts of the camp. Yet what a warning to any future complainers. The message was, don't engage in this behavior because it will be judged. It was a place where even Moses gave it the name of Taberah, verse 4, because it reminded them of the burning. It reminded them of the punishment that was meted out by God. And just one other thought before I leave this. You see the praying for these lingerers. Verse 2, and the people cried unto Moses, and Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. For that's what Moses was to be engaged in, he prayed. Most probably, most probably, we would say that Moses was the butt of, of some of this murmuring. He certainly would have been on other occasions. And most probably it was the same here. He, as their leader, would have been the object of much of their complaints. Yet when trouble came, it was to Moses that they turned for help. Just like it was with the people of Sodom. Remember that. 
The people of Sodom, and they were happily living in their sin. And then there was the confederate forces of Kedalamar, and they came and, and they rooted the, the cities, and they took away their wives and families. They took away the, the, the possessions of Sodom. And what did the Sodomites do? They turned to Abraham. Abraham, who had nothing to do with Sodom. Abraham, who lived the life of the sojourner. Abraham, whose tents were in Hebron. And they went to Abraham and they told him of what had happened. And Abraham gathered his servants, his trained men, and he went that great distance and he overcame the confederate armies. You see, men, women, the point is this that I'm trying to make. Let us seek to live holy and faithful lives. For when the ungodly are in trouble, you know who they turn to? They turn to you and me. They turn to God's people. Because they see there's something different there. But they'll only turn to God's people if they see that your life is lived, one that's holy and one that's faithful. Moses was to give a gracious response or he prayed for them. And that fire was quenched. He could accomplish more in prayer than they could because his life was one that was holy. His life was one that was upright in contrast to theirs. And don't we remember the little uh, psalm where it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We can't expect God to answer prayer if there's that known sin residing in our hearts and in our lives. The lingerers. Before I move on to the next group, I want you to ask yourself something. Even, even if I'm preaching to those and you're not given to complaining and to murmuring, please ask yourself this, am I lingering? Am I on the periphery? You know, I dare so say if I was here four years ago, I would say this, there were those on the periphery and they're no longer in the house of God. And they're no longer anywhere. And they used what happened a couple of years ago for an excuse. Am I lingering? I, I, I want to be honest with you, men and women, I believe some of you are. Some of, some of the members in this congregation are lingering. It's a while since I've seen you in the prayer meeting. It's a while since I've seen you at the Lord's table. And I'm saying to you, it's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be. And the Lord has given us even these as an example of that. They were on the periphery. They were on the uttermost parts of the camp. They were given to complaining. Now, there's another group that we need to look at, and that's the lusterers. You see, this was all, verse 1 and 2, was all the incentive that the rest of the camp needed not to pursue this sort of spirit. Yet it fell on deaf ears. For no sooner are we told of the people on the edge of the camp and we learn of other complainers as well. This time, it was about something specific. 
There was their desire. Verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? They had an intense longing for meat. They weren't content with the manna that was provided for them. It was everything that they needed. And yet it says that they fell a-lusting. Now, uh, let, let me underline, it doesn't mean that to desire meat is evil or to desire meat is wrong. But while in the wilderness, God did not permit them to have that. And when God denies his people something, then it's evil, it's sinful to desire that. It wasn't for them at this time. And you see, that's the commentary that Paul states when he speaks to the believers in Corinth. You've heard me say it before, the best commentary is the Bible itself. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, of course, there are all sorts of difficulties and problems in Corinth. And Paul takes them back to this very place. Verse 5 of chapter 10 says, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. He says, Now these things, verse 6, were our ensembles to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. It's not evil to eat meat, but I said to you, God denied it for them during the wilderness wanderings for their good. And so therefore when they desired that, it did become evil. Those who were guilty of this are described as the mixed multitude. What's that mean? That means simply they were those who intermarried with the Egyptians. The reason that they were on this great journey, it wasn't one of faith, it was of the flesh. There are plenty today who desire to gratify the flesh or as opposed to the spiritual. And you know their influence can be felt upon the people of God. They want to be like the world. And so they influence others to have also that same spirit within the very church circle. Do you see their dementia? You might say that's a funny title. Well, look at it, verse 5. We remember the fish which we did eat in uh, Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks and the onions and the garlic. They could recall those dainties that, that they had in Egypt. They remembered the diet they had. But listen, men and women, they didn't remember the other side of that. They didn't remember the despair. They remember the onions. They remember the garlic. But they don't recall the brick kilns. They don't mention there the hard taskmasters that they had. They don't even mention the whips that was put on their backs. They talk about having the fish that they ate freely. They have a wee bit of dementia, you see. They forgot about the cost. It wasn't freely. The cost was the cruel slavery that they were subjected to and they paid dearly with the hard labor for all of their food. And therein lies the warning. The lusts of the flesh will not remember the curse of evil. It doesn't recall the trouble that sin brings. Be careful lest such a spirit deceives and you become ensnared by the subtle enemy. They were those who really despised what God had provided for them. Verse 6, but now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. It amounts to a terrible, ungrateful spirit. 
to complain about the food that God had provided for them on a daily basis. Let's remember they're in a wilderness. Let's remember they're going through deserts. And yet God had provided the manna on a daily basis. And what follows in those verses is a description of that manna. It was good. It was certainly freely available. The psalmist, he calls it the corn of heaven. He calls it another place, angel's food. But they who lusted after the meat were sick of it. And I just remind you, And when we read about manna in the scriptures, it reminds us it's symbolic of the word of God and the Savior himself. And are there not many among our own generation who seems today and they lust after all their dishes? They're sick of the diet of the scriptures, that stable diet. They don't want the steady diet of having the word preached to them. They desire the new. They desire the different. They desire the entertaining that feeds the flesh. And in effect they're saying, I'm sick of hearing of Christ. That's really what it boils down to. He who is the bread of life. They desire other things whereby uh, we read, in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Young people, you have Christ. You have everything you need. Everything in life, in death, for eternity. In Christ dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you was illustrated for us even during the Lord's earthly ministry. Let me just take you to John chapter 6. The crowds are following him. And the crowds are following him because they saw his miracles. And then they received, of course, of his provision by feeding of the multitudes. The feeding of the 5,000 is found at the start of chapter 6 of John. But when he started to feed their souls... And he does so even using these scriptures. He refers to the fathers who ate the manna in the wilderness. We read this in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Many of them turned away. And he turns around to his disciples and the Lord says to his disciples, will they do the same? Will you go away also? And Peter steps forward and Peter reminds the Savior, well, we haven't lost our appetite for the heavenly manna. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou alone hast the words of eternal life. But many turned away, went no more with him. Let me ask this morning, are you satisfied with Christ? I tell you this, that if you aren't satisfied with Christ, then it's time you took a look at your heart. Because that's where the problem is. For he is no disappointment. They lusted after the meat. They weren't content. And soon followed the death of many of them. The anger of the Lord was kindled against them. The plan was he would give them what they desired. 
They lusted after meat, so he would give it to them in abundance. So much so that they would eat themselves sick. Look at the words of verse 19. Here's the message. Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even whole months. Until it come out of your nostrils, and it will be loathsome unto you, because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? The Lord knew their heart. He knew they despised him. And they despised his provision. Learn from it that when God forbids his people something, it's not to make us unhappy. It's for our good. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Israel would be given all the flesh that they desired, but it would be loathsome to them. And, and I just want to um, complement that by, by how the psalmist brings it out. Psalm 106, and the words of verse 15. It simply says this. Again, Verse 14 says, But lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. Listen to this. And he gave them their request. But sent leanness into their soul. Oh God, give it to them. It was was stacked up high when it came. But it brought leanness into their soul. Men and women, young people, you give priority to your physical desires. More than to your spiritual, it will be a ruin to you. It will be a ruin to you. I've come across those who profess Christ and, and for one reason or another and are not found in the house of God. You know what oftentimes they say to me? Oh, I, I, I'm working. I'm doing this, that or the other. Priorities are wrong there. They're very wrong. And as to their ruin. You will see that when God seems to favor the wicked at times. It's only that they be fattened for the slaughter. God may allow them to have an abundance for which they lusted after in this world. But that abundance will only destroy them as it did these Israelites. Don't lose the bigger picture. You know, the psalmist was in danger of doing exactly that. And that's why I want you to take heed to the words that he brings out in Psalm 73. He says in verse 2, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slept. Why? Verse 3, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He, He had lost the bigger picture. And he goes on to uh, elaborate upon that, describe it. And you know, you you and I can look out upon the wicked today and it seems they're all having their own way. Whether it's those in power or those that you work alongside and no care of God, the things of God, and they seem to have prosperity. But don't lose the big picture. See verse 17. He says, until my feet was almost gone. 
until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They're utterly consumed with terrors. There's the big picture. God caused the wind to blow the quails in from the sea as we read in the words of verse 31 of our chapter. It demonstrated God's power to supply in abundance. Something they had questioned. But God showed them his power. Not as a blessing, but for their judgment. Those quails when available were swooned upon by the people. The lust of the heart gave way to action as it often does in the immoral sense. We use the word lust today in the the sense of immorality. What's conceived in the heart makes its way out into action. And that's exactly what is true of these people here. For days and nights they gathered as many as they could. They were obsessed at getting them. All that day, all that night, and all the next day. Look at verse 32. People stood up all that day, all that night, all the next day, and they gathered the quails. He that gathered least gathered ten omers. They spread them all abroad for themselves, round about the camp. There's a picture of greed. If ever you've seen one. Greed that is evident to many today. They can't get enough of the world's goods. They can't get enough of the world's possessions. They sacrifice everything to get to it, even including the worship of God. They sacrifice the family. They sacrifice other important matters. And it's while the meat was between their teeth. Hadn't even chewed it. That the wrath of God suddenly was kindled upon them. It was a swift judgment. Their extraordinary lust to gather in day and night hastened on their judgment, hastened on their destruction. The severity of it was great, for they too met with death because their sin was serious. Those who were slain, again I referred to the psalmist. He brings it out, Psalm 78, verse 30. They were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. The fattest means the strongest of them. The chosen, the word chosen, indicates the young men, those that were in their very prime, cut down. And you know the saddest word of all is that the others didn't learn from the lesson. Verse 32 says of that psalm, For all this they sin still, and believe not for his wondrous works. They didn't take heed to it. They still continued to sin against God. They still complained, and many more were to be slain. And you know, as I read that, I couldn't think, help but think of what we read in, number, in, in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 24 simply says this. I leave this with you. He says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. What you read there is of uh, immorality. 
perversion sexually that you are seeing in society today. God has given them up. And you look at the word of verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And they're sinning away the day of God's grace. And they're sinning to their own destruction. And apart from the grace of God, they'll be lost and damned forever. For I believe the Lord can save those that are caught up in those sins. Paul tells us in the, in the city of Corinth that he did just that. They're unsaved. God has given you warnings. But they who do not heed but ignore those warnings and ignore judgments only play the fool. And it will hasten on to destruction. I trust that you're not found in that category but that you might turn to the one who endured the judgment, who endured the wrath of God for sin on the cross, and that you might receive him as your Savior instead of being a complainer, then be one who considers him. Instead of being a complainer, confess your sin unto him. Instead of being a complainer, call upon the Lord in mercy to save your soul and follow him. We've looked at the lusters. We've looked at the lingerers. We haven't time to look at the the leader this morning. We'll just leave it there. But I pray that if you're not saved, that you would come to Christ. I pray that if you're caught up with a murmuring spirit, that you would confess it unto the Lord. You might turn from it. You might ask for God's grace not to have that spirit. For these are given for us as an ensemble. They're to teach us. May the Lord bless his word this morning. To every heart. Or his own name's sake. 489. 489. O Jesus I have promised to serve thee to the end. Be thou forever near me. My master and my friend. Let me just. Say, we'll sing verses 1 and the words of verse 5. 1 and 5 of 489, page 373. Stand as we sing.
Let us come with challenge to our hearts. And, O God, we pray that we might, Lord, simply desire to follow Thee and to have that close walk with God that we might plant our footsteps in Thine. And we might, Lord, ever listen out for that word from behind us. This is the way, walk ye in it. Lord, we believe it's not Thy way to have that murmuring spirit. We confess it to Thee, Lord, and we pray that by Thy grace we would not have that spirit abroad. But Lord, that Thou would help us to be content. We thank Thee, Lord, we are content in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that we might, Lord, enjoy more of the fullness that there is to be found in Him. Part us with Thy blessing. Speak on, Lord, as we meditate upon Thy word today. Bring us back in Thy will to the house of God tonight. We ask these things in our Saviour's name. Amen.